You're listening to Shifting Schools, episode 250. All right, we're back with another great episode here at Shifting Schools. We are still in the middle of our mini-series all on STEM and makerspaces. Hopefully, you have been enjoying this series. And please, if you have been enjoying this series, please reach out to us, info at Shifting Schools. Trisha and I are always wondering, do people like these mini-series when we take four or five episodes and we focus them in on something specific? Uh, we did one on data literacy last year. We've got a couple that you can actually see. Uh, Trisha's done a great job of putting together lists of all of our mini-series over on our website. If you go over to our website and you uh, hover over the word podcast at the top, you will see where it says pod lists. And you you can go back and you can listen to a whole mini series and we've got more coming up. Trisha, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the mini series that we have planned coming up in the future as well? Uh, absolutely. And I should say, you know, Jeff, when we're doing these mini series, I don't want any of our listeners to feel like, oh, but that's not my specific subject. Mm. We're really approaching what we're doing with each mini series from a holistic lens, right? And that's as we've been talking about makerspaces and STEM, you might notice if you've already listened to a few of these, we're trying to talk about what it means across the curriculum, right? So when we did that data literacy series, we're talking about it across the curriculum. The other series that I think is really useful is that Future of Work series. You know, Jeff, it's changed so much since like I graduated high school oh, and I so was true. thinking about pathways. So we really did want to do some work around what are emerging fields of interest. And I think it's a great series for parents and caretakers too. Um, and then, of course, we also have a great series. We're really fortunate to talk to authors sometime and if you are thinking, I really want to refresh my professional development library, that's a great place to go for some inspiration. Yeah. I think my favorite is the future of work because, you know, my tagline, preparing students for their future, not our past. That was a great mini series of looking at what are we doing in schools now to prepare kids for these future workplaces. So again, you can find those all over on our website, shiftingschools.com under podcast, look for pod lists, and you'll see different lists there that are all through Spotify, uh, Spotify makes it very easy to put those lists together. But you mentioned something. And as we get into today's episode with uh, Mackin and Lindsay, who is part of the professional development, she's an educator uh, and now works for Mackin at Mackin.com and helping schools set up makerspaces. One of the things uh, that you mentioned that it really comes through again in today's episode is this idea of cross-curricular, how makerspaces can be used. And what we really jump into is the ELA classroom with both her being a teacher, you being an ELA teacher. We talk a lot about how, you know, even as an ELA teacher, in reading and writing and listening and speaking, how the makerspace can be a part of that. So be listening for that in today's episode. What, what else should people be listening for today? Well, I love, you know, Lindsay talks about as educators, we need to learn to ask for help. Mm. Um, and I really appreciated her bringing this up. It's a great reminder. And I think, you know, if you are a teacher on faculty who's been around for a while and you've got some new teachers on staff, remind them, ask for help when you need it. Because I think sometimes in the world of education, we we might think that we can't. And of course we can. And I would actually take it one step further and say, we have to. Mm. So I think that's a really important reminder for me. What else, Jeff? I think there's this, the, and we get into it again in this episode, and I apologize for people if you don't like when I go on rants, but I kind of go on a rant in this one. Um, but there's this balancing act that every educator knows we're constantly trying to do between structure and agency. And when we talk a lot about this idea of 
maker spaces, a lot of times we're thinking like, oh, we're giving kids all the agency, right? Student-centered or students have all the control. But really what we want is we want this balance between how much structure is actually involved and what's the balance with student student option, student agency in the work and the structure that we need to have around the work that students do. And so we really get into, we talk about that. Lindsay does a great job of talking about that as well, about how, you know, this idea that makerspaces are kind of a free for all uh, is not true, that there has to be this structure put in place. And so I think that's a great one. We've got a couple links in the show notes that go further into that as well. Uh, so I think that's something to be listening for. And then I, again, the fourth one, I think we talk about this idea of um, upcycling stuff. And you have a great story in there. And I'm not going to say, um, you got to listen to the episode to hear Trisha's great upcycling story. Um, but this idea of upcy- upcycling and what does that mean in today's world uh, that we can bring into our maker spaces as well? So a couple of just uh, some great gems in here to listen uh, for as well. But overall, as you kind of reflect on this conversation, what do you think is the big shifted thought for today's episode? For me, Jeff, it's the reality that the design cycle it is a resource that is useful lifelong curriculum wide. And I really think it's so important to frame it that way with students. How can you use the design cycle in figuring out what you want from a friendship? How can you use the design mm. cycle in making better chocolate chip cookies? How can you use the design cycle in arranging your bedroom, right? Like you can use it for so many different ways. And I just think it's so important to frame it that way with students, because when we're coming across a project or a problem, it's so helpful if you have a framework to work through, right? Um, If I, you know, if if I'm looking at uh, perfecting a recipe, I've got guests coming over. When I have a framework to think that through, the stress level goes down immediately, like 25%, because I have a process and mm. I'm going to work that process. So um, I, I really think it's a, an interesting conversation to have, even as adult learners, get that design cycle out. What does this work with? You know, What might you use this for a problem that you're trying to solve that has maybe nothing even to do with your with your job, right? It's yeah. a great way to get some story sharing happening across faculty. Well, you made me think of a uh, my wife and I have been watching uh, cooking shows. We love to watch cooking shows because she loves to cook, and I love to make fun of people. And we've been watching Worst Cooks in America. I don't know if you've ever seen this on the Food Network. Not yet. But, but what you just made me as you were talking, what you made me understand is is when at the start of the show. They're just a chaotic mess in in the kitchen. But part of it is, is they don't have a process. They don't know, they, they, they don't even know how to start. Like it's amazing how many people, because they're just not used to cooking. They haven't had to go through that process. They don't have a process for starting where if you had something like the design cycle, how much would that just be a process to get you started cooking? You know, and it's fun because as you go through the show, you can see people going through and coming up with understanding the process of cooking, right? How you have to get all of your stuff out and you have to cut your stuff first. And then you got, you know, everybody just wants to throw the meat in and and start cooking the meat. And then your meat's cold because that's the last thing you should do, not the first thing you should do, right? But there's a process to everything that we do. And that's what the design cycle, that's what inquiry learning is all about. 
finding the process that helps you solve the problem that we're asking you to solve. That's what inquiry learning is all about. And it comes through again in today's episode. Uh, and a shout out to Worst Cooks in America. If you haven't watched that show, you will see the 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 non-process work into a process by the end of the by the end of the series. But uh, it's a it's a, just an interesting way when you start thinking about your life and how everything works through. I think about it. I mean, in, because our, you know, my other life in real estate, everything we do is a process. Everything is, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix it? How do you fix it? What supplies do you need? I mean, and you don't always get it right. I mean, our goal is always to not have to, if we don't run to home Depot, if we run to home Depot less than three times in a project, that's a win, right? (laughs) That's part of the design cycle. If we don't have to reiterate uh, at minimum of three times, then that's a win. Uh, and so you've got different ways. That's part of our feedback loop and our assessment, uh, um, whether or not we did our projects well. So there's just so many ways that you can use it. And I think that that is so key in everything that we do. And hopefully that comes through again in today's episode. So, uh, this is a really great one. Again, thank you to Mackin and MackinMaker.com for all their support. Again, if you need anything to do with makerspace supplies, please head over to Mackin, uh, Mackin.com and Mackinmaker.com, which is just takes you to a page about all of their makerspace supplies. One of the things I love over there are their lists. They've got lists to get you started and reach out to Lindsay. If you need some support and help at your school, if you're trying to set up a school-wide school district, maybe you're a district, you want to get this set up. What a great resource to support you setting this up across multiple schools. So thank you so much for Mackin.com and Mackin Maker for being a sponsor of this mini series. And with that, here is Lindsay talking about Mackin, Mackin Maker, uh, Makerspaces, and how it all comes together across multiple curricular areas. I hope you enjoy this one. And with that, on with the show. All right, welcome back to another Shifting Schools episode. I'm so excited to be here with Trisha and our guest today, Lindsay from Mackin. Once again, thank you to Mackin for being a sponsor of our STEM Makerspace Learning Series. And today is all about makerspaces, but of course, I'm sure we'll talk about STEM too because they kind of just kind of go hand in hand and that's the way we are off. Uh, We've already covered the weather. We've got snow in Minnesota where Lindsay is, snow where Trisha is, and almost an inch of rain by noon here in Seattle today as we're recording. Uh, So it's a great day. So Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Trisha, why don't you take it away and uh, get us started here in our interview? Great. So Lindsay, I really enjoyed sort of doing a deep dive and reading a bunch of posts uh, that you've put together that listeners will be sure are over there in the show notes. And I'd love to start off talking about one that you re- you wrote that speaks to the value of going, quote, off script with students. Um, you've also written about the myth that all makerspace time is unstructured. Talk to us about how we can balance both flexibility with creating space for student agency alongside this need that, of course, we do sometimes need that guidance and that scaffolding. Yeah, super, super good question. Um, And I think that there's kind of this belief out there, um, kind of in in part of the world anyway, um, that in order to run kind of um, a pure makerspace, maybe, or like a makerspace as we think of one um, that was like started from the grassroots maker education era, it has to be like this 100% free choice making where students come in, 
and, you know, they're doing whatever they want and there's no direction given by the educators. Um, but I think that anyone who's run a makerspace who has spent time in a makerspace um, kind of understands that that's really not how it works. You do have to balance that, right? Um, with some, you know, direct instruction sometimes even um, when you're kind of thinking about, you know, tools that are more difficult to understand. You know, kids can't, if they've never coded before, um, picking up a robot is going to be extremely overwhelming. They're going to need some practice with coding and some introduction. And sometimes that means direct instruction with, with the basics of coding. Um, if you have a makerspace that, you know, has tools that might be dangerous, there's going to need to be some structure around those tools and using those tools. They're not just going to be able to come in and, you know, it's not a free for all. Right. Um, and so I think that, you know, there has to be space for some structure, too. And I really think that in a um, makerspace, there is a lot of structure embedded in it. It's just going to look different from what we think of kind of when we think of, you know, a more traditional classroom model where maybe the teacher is teaching at the front of the room, the students are all doing the same thing, right? A makerspace is going to look different than that, but it still has structure. Um, and, you know, when I, I was an educator at a STEM center and I did a lot of extracurricular programming um, and just all different types of programming. I did field trip, I did summer camps, I ran a girls in STEM program. And something that I always focused on, um, if we're talking about kind of structure, is I, I really looked to the engineering design process. Um, and if you're not familiar with that, it's essentially kind of just a way of working through more open-ended problems. Um, and that's kind of an oversimplification, but that's the basics. Um, and so whenever I gave my students challenges or problems to solve, I would kind of guide them through this engineering design process. Um, so, you know, I would help them to brainstorm. Maybe I'd help through them through the research process. We'd sketch. Um, and, and it didn't always look the same. And it definitely didn't look the same um, from student A to student B to student Z. Um, but it helps students work through these big ideas, these big challenges that they face in the makerspace. Um, and, and I think that, you know, when students are participating in a creative design process, um, at, when not just students either, I think when any of us are, I yeah, think yeah. that can feel so difficult and so overwhelming and so paralyzing, um, especially, you know, for students who, or for anyone who is newer to kind of more creative, open-ended work, right? That can feel really daunting. And so we want to kind of introduce these strategies for thinking through that creative process um, to help them through it. Um, so, I think that that kind thinking about that kind of structure, right, allows for student agency still because they're solving it in their own way, right? Students aren't creating the same thing 
they are creating completely different, unique, um, ele- uh, completely unique projects. Um, they're solving it from their own lens, their own perspective. Um, and so I think that allows for student agency still and, and allows for flexibility. Um, but like I said, it helps it because we need that structure. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is, you know, it's a balance and I find it's a balance that you need to tinker with, right? Like it's, it's a design process for the facilitator as well. And one strategy that I learned that works really well in the classroom, and this is with high school students, um, you know, if we were coming across kind of a new application or a new resource, it would be, we're going to take seven minutes. I'm going to have the timer up. We're going to do some discovery time. This is going to be loud and messy. You come across something that works for you. Feel free to get up, go show somebody else. You're feeling frustrated. We're going to have a space for you to go and make note of what's the thing you can't figure out right now. And then we're going to do some of that direct guidance because I think Mm -hmm. students are also really excited, right? When we're using something new, they do just want to explore, Uh, you know, adult learners as well. The difference is if I didn't tell them it's going to be seven minutes and then we're going to do direct instruction, if it was just open-ended, okay, play around with this, I think you would get to that frustration point much yeah, faster absolutely. because it's, hey, I need help. But when you know help is coming, it's it's a much different thing. It truly is just discovery playtime. Well, totally. I think this leads to, I mean, we, I mean, anybody who's listened to me long enough is going to be sick and tired of hearing this. Highly structured, loosely organized. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about makerspaces, that there still has to be a structure. If you are loosely structured, but highly organized, you know what I mean? Like your makerspace has all the right tools and all the right spots is being highly organized, but you have no structure on just to your point, Lindsay, it's just like send the kids in there and let them go make stuff. There's no structure to that. It is going to fall apart so fast. Versus if you have a highly structured way to teach kids how to loosely organize their thinking. I'm a huge, huge person of the design cycle. You know, I mean, and I think one of the reasons why I love to teach the design cycle to kids is because we use it every single day in our lives. When we want to design a mini series for a podcast, Trisha and I go through the design cycle. We don't call it the design cycle, but there's this iteration stage and there's the thought stage. And then we have to go out and find people to interview stage. And then there's the actual create stage. And then there's the feedback. Like you go through these different stages. This is the way work gets done regardless, regardless. That is why teaching kids that there is a system that you can go through, a structure to how you use makerspaces is critical. Trisha, you hit on the second point. The second point being this idea that we can't just jump into direct instruction with kids. You're going to send kids in to do robots. Great. Kids are going to be so excited to make robots. You have seven minutes. At the end of seven minutes, nobody has their robot working. So then you get to back up and say, what do you need to know? Oh, well, we need to know how to plug these things in. We need to know how the code works. We need to know. Great. Now you are teaching me what the structure is to my direct instruction to make sure we get the robot working, right? There's so many ways that this layers into everything that we do in education and everything we do in life. These are life skills. Yeah. But you have to go back to that idea that it has to be highly structured, loosely organized. Are you busy organizing your classroom that you forget to add structure? That's called chaos. Or are you not? Don't worry about the organization. Kids will do that part. Kids will find a way to organize this stuff. 
Your goal is what is the structure that is needed so that kids can learn on their own? And how do I support them through that learning? That's what this is about. That's what makerspaces are about. Taking something like the design cycle or, I mean, there's all challenge cycle. There's all kinds of cycles that we use in our daily life. It's so huge. And one thing that, that I love is when we talk about this stuff is it integrates with every subject area. And Lindsay, I know one of the areas of interest that you like is this link between literacy education and hands-on making. Can you talk more about how do you see that connection? What's that connection look like for you? Yeah, so I was actually a sixth grade reading teacher when I was in the classroom. <clears throat> so I think that kind of literacy and making um, is is kind of a natural idea that I tend to gravitate towards. Um, I'm kind of always thinking of ways that I would have loved to engage my own students um, and kind of kicking myself for not. Um, <laughs> but obviously, I think there are connections to literacy um, and making as students are really participating in, in when they're participating in the hands-on work, um, they're inevitably talking, right? They're communicating. I was just actually building something today and my boss happened to come in and just talking through an idea and trying to communicate those with the, each other, that was tough and we're yeah. adults. Um, and so, you know, that's part of literacy. That's part of um, that's in it. Speaking is an ELA standard. Right. Um, so there's that. There's also obviously thinking critically about what they're doing. Um, obviously, there's, like I said, with collaborating, but then also at the end of the process, hopefully there's time for sharing, too. Right. And communicating that and reflection. Um, so there's so many natural ways that I think literacy and making can can fit together. Um, and then actually, I, I love this one book, um, JC Maslick wrote, uh, I'm gonna, I think I have this title, right? Remaking Literacy, Innovative um, Instruction Strategies for Maker Learning. That's what it is. Um, and she kind of talks about how not every student loves reading, but we can create these pathways to include those students in different ways. And one of those ways can be making. And so just this idea that making can be an accessible pathway for students who maybe ELA, maybe literacy isn't coming naturally for them. And now, hey, there's an accessible, more accessible route where they can actually use their hands and connect to the literacy in that way. Um, and if obviously I think, you know, mixing it up for kids, um, giving them opportunities to engage in that way, um, kind of show, come at literacy through their strengths um, is also going to be so helpful. And I think more than just connecting um, Making with literacy, uh, you kind of mentioned it already, but making can be part of any content area, right? I mean, social studies, I've seen so many cool makey-makey projects in particular. I think you talked about makey-makey last episode too, um, but so many cool makey-makey projects in particular, like interactive museums and things with social studies, um, obviously art, like I'm thinking like kinetic art sculptures, but obviously art can connect in a lot of different ways too. Um, but I think that 
the more that we can bring in this way of um, engaging students, the, the deeper the learning. Yeah. And I think there's, I mean, the thing that comes to mind for me that I always love to do is just do progress reports. You know, this idea of writing of at the end of your maker session, write your progress report. What did I, what did I do today? What did I try? What did I make? What, what, what did I learn? And then the next thing is, what am I doing next time I get here? Right. What's my next step? This idea of helping kids to say, here's what I accomplished today. Here's what I want to work on the next time we have maker space time. Right. And even just being able to journal down that idea of here's what I accomplished today. Here's what tomorrow's task is. That works in every workplace. When you get older, I finish my day and I think about what did I accomplish today? Oh, I didn't accomplish those five tasks. Then I have to accomplish those tasks tomorrow, right? We start getting that mindset of here's where I'm at. Here's what my next steps are. Trisha, you're an ELA teacher. How do you see this? You know, one of my all-time favorite projects that I've done with students is sort of translating a work of poetry into a stop motion video. And again, highly structured, loosely organized. So we had a few quote unquote rules. It's going to be 90 seconds. It can use, there were like five different types of materials you can pick from. And we, you know, as part of that iteration, it was play around. Like, you know, one of them was Lego. One of them was cardboard. Why does that material better match the tone of the poem. Uh, they had to pair it with music. And, you know, we learned also about finding copyright free music. How does that additional layer, how can you make sure that that really works with the theme? And so it was interesting in those design choices, when I was eavesdropping on student groups working through that, the conversations they were having about that work of poetry were so much deeper than if I just said, analyze this poem. Right. Mm. So again, when you kind of partner it, partner it with design choices, you really have to unpack what's going on in the original work. Um, you know, again, just touching on how maker education can link up with uh, lots of different subjects that perhaps don't always come to the mind. Uh, first and foremost, you also have a great post, listeners. The link will be in the show notes about maker ed and sustainability. I love seeing this because you know I'm thinking more and more about how important this is. And, you know, we're a few weeks past Christmas, but my wife and I did something really interesting this year where we said all of our gifts only can come from secondhand store. Uh, anything that we are doing in terms of like wrapping, we're upcycling stuff. And it was really fun. We also kind of, you know, felt good about not necessarily creating more landfill uh, garbage. Cool. And, and, you know, your post talks about upcycling. So I love just thinking about I know that sometimes when we're talking about maker ed, folks might think, oh, I need this really expensive product. You know, I have to go and spend thousands of dollars, which is not always the case. So can you talk more about the concept of creating upcycled artifacts? Yeah, and and I totally agree. I think sometimes we think they have to be these high-tech toys, um, not toys. <laughs> that's definitely not what they are, but that's what sometimes people think too. Um, and I think that just from working with students, one of their favorite tools is cardboard, is recycled materials. Um, those, you know, I could never have enough of a cardboard and just random items that I had no longer, I didn't need in my house anymore. I'd bring them in 
and they'd be used for something. And it was incredible. Um, so I totally agree about that. And um, upcycling is just a way to to do just that. It's reusing something that you don't have use for in its original form and um, transforming it to meet a new need. Um, and it's really just um, a way to keep more materials in use and out of and out of landfills, right? Um, so, for example, maybe you no longer want that those T-shirts anymore. So you you know weave them together to create a blanket or a quilt of some some kind. Um, maybe you decorate some old soup cans and they become flower pots. Um, things like that. There's just a ton of examples out there <clears throat> of upcycling. Um, both young and old adults are doing this as well, obviously. Um, and and I love doing this with students because they're just so creative in, in the solutions that they come up with um, and the materials that they use, um, just things that I never would imagine. Um, and then I also think there's some really great um, resources out there just to inspire kids like um, there's obviously some famous artwork out there that reuses materials. Um, there's some really great books based on true stories. I'm sure a lot of us know the boy who harnessed the wind, um, who created the the windmill. Um, and oh man, there's one other one. Um, Magic Trash, I think, talks about um, a famous artist that collected trash and created artwork. So there's just a lot of cool resources out there to inspire kids too. Well, and I think it's one of those things that once you're a school that you have a makerspace, you just get the community behind you. I mean, every teacher already knows this. You never throw away a toilet paper tube or a paper towel tube. I mean, all of that stuff is just, that's goldmine in the school. You know, I just remember my kids always thought that the way that you got stuff to stick together was add more tape. I mean, we were going through masking tape like it was nobody's business because it was just like, it won't stay up. Just add more tape rather than think about, well, maybe I need to find another way to get these two things to stick together. It was just add more tape. We all kind of get into that. I do sometimes in my house too. It's just add more duct tape and it'll be fine. Well, right? and you know, Jeff, that's the know. advantage of, again, when you are doing a project like this, let your school communications team know about it. Yeah. You know, the stop motion yeah, poems so that I mentioned, uh, you know, we we shared those videos and one of the resources was sort of like just repurpose like old school action figures. And I had a few parents from the community reach out and say, hey, you know, actually, we've got a bunch of those uh, that, you know, have not been used for a number of years. Would you like those? And then great, mm -hmm. I've added to my collection, you know, and Lindsay, to your point, once students have that opportunity, I think you're setting them up on a path where they're going to be thinking about upcycling in a variety of, of new ways. So um, we'll leave the link to, there's a program called Boomerang Bags, and we'll leave that in the show notes. Uh, it's all about, as you said, like upcycling, hey, there's fabric, there's you know bed sheets that you don't use anymore, and we're going to create reusable bags. Uh, I was working at a school where we had that as an after-school activity club, and it was amazing. You know, students really getting into sewing—that was their introduction into it. And then the number of students who participated in that club and then started making their own clothing, right? Um, so it's it's again that upskilling. I think lends itself to just you know 
lots of different connections and them talking to their friends about it. So it's a great way, I think, of getting that mindset to spread all across the school. And same thing, the, the school community was great. Parents started bringing in fabric, clothing that they weren't using anymore. We were not short in any way, shape or form of having plenty of resources for that club. I do think that people love to help. Uh, They just find these projects so incredible. And I always found that the adults would be like, whoa, I never did things like this when I was in school. This is amazing. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, So yeah, I totally agree. It took me a minute to kind of get over. I, I I didn't want to. I don't like asking for help sometimes. Um, but when I did, I was like, how did I not do this sooner? You know, um, and I always find um, that the uh, maintenance staff, um, that was one lesson I learned, uh, inform them because, yes, they have a lot of paper towel rolls, toilet paper rolls, cardboard. Um, and also they need to know that the cardboard collection is not garbage too. Yeah. <laughs> that was one thing I, that I, that I learned. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so great. Uh, Lindsay, thank you so much. And again, thanks to Mackin for being a sponsor of this mini series. You work for Mackin and Mackin Maker. Uh, can you talk a little bit about Mackin Maker, Ed? Uh, one of the things I love on the website is the list. There's lists of ways to get started. If you're an elementary teacher, here's a quick list of things to get. Or if you're a secondary teacher, here's a quick things. Maybe just talk a little bit about uh, Mac and Maker, uh, kind of the resources that are there and what are some of the things that are available there for, for teachers to get started or teachers to replenish their, their makerspace they already have. Yeah. So, I mean, our whole goal is, and my whole role at Mackin is to really help people kind of navigate the process, whether you are wanting to expand your makerspace um, or whether you're just getting started and have are really lost and overwhelmed. Um, we really work hard to put resources out there to help. Um, and so one, one thing I, I would check out if you're looking for ideas and things would be the blog that I contribute to. Um, and, and that is, um, actually has ELA resources as well. Um, and, and, um, yeah, just a lot. We have guest posts and things too. Um, so that's one place. Um, but then I would also, like you said, we, we try to put out lists to give people ideas of, um, materials and products they might be interested in. Actually, I just put out a blog post this week that's kind of just um, talking through, like, if you are just at that beginning phase of starting a makerspace and you want to start to dip your toes, but you're kind of hesitant and you just want something that will get kids started right away, here are a a set of tools that you might want to consider for your makerspace to start. so, so that is another option as well. But our website has, you know, we are, we sell a, hundreds of maker products. Um, and, and we really, my role, part of it is working to find, you know, products that I would love to use with my students um, and, and learn how to use them so I can translate those, um, that to, to people, to customers. So. 
And, and you do professional development as well. How do teachers get connected with you and Mackin for maybe some PD opportunities? Yeah, so that's actually one of our um, departments is called Mackin Learning. Um, and we have, um, it's linked on our, on our homepage, Mackin.com. Um, and you can connect with us there. Yeah, but I do, I do a lot of different workshops um, on, um, I do product training. So if you're like just, trying to learn, you got, you know, robots, for example, and you're just really trying to learn, you're overwhelmed, I can help with that. Um, or like I said, I can help with, um, like, maybe your district is starting a makerspace, um, district wide initiative, and you are struggling um, to get started, um, I can kind of help guide through that as well. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Uh, again, thank you to Mackin for being a sponsor. There's so much over there on the Mackin.com website from there. You can get over to Mackin Maker or you can go to MackinMaker.com as well to see all of those supplies and my favorite, the lists to get you started uh, as, as a teacher as well. Trisha, any last remarks, comments, or thoughts from you as we get ready to wrap this up? Just, yeah. I, I mean, thank you for the support you offer. I think, you know, Jeff and I, when we're looking uh, for partnerships, we're always looking for organizations like Mackin that as you said, it's, we need support at both sides of the spectrum, right? You know, for folks who are just starting out or are looking at a, a different part of makerspace education to get into, as well as, you know, I think sometimes it, it can be easy to almost forget about the folks who have been in it for decades, but experts need support too. They also need inspiration. So I, I just think that's, that's so important. Uh, Jeff, folks want to reach out connect with you where do you want to where do you want to connect with people to talk about anything that you mentioned on this episode yeah i think the best place right now is probably over on twitter or mastodon i've moved over there as well so uh, you can find me at mastodon.education uh, starting to put some stuff in there and some content in there but of course twitter uh, where you can have at jayudic everywhere on the interwebs uh, but also at shifting schools you'll find all the resources that trisha is constantly making over there on Twitter as well at Shifting Schools. Trisha, how about you? Where, where where would you like people to kind of contact you? Folks, I would love it if you're signed up to our free newsletter. Again, you can sign up to that by heading over to shiftingschools.com. When you're reading our newsletters, a lot of the free resources we're sharing there are in response to problems that our newsletter and our podcast community write to us about. And I really love, I know nobody ever says they love getting email, but I love getting those emails. So um, again, you can always reach us info at shiftingschools.com. Awesome. And Lindsay, how about you? Where if people wanted to reach out, or is there a good place for them to reach out to contact you learn more? Yeah, you can find um, a contact page and information on macandmaker.com. Um, and then I also have a Twitter page. I don't know if you can link that. That'd be yeah. great too. I'd be happy to to tweet and and reply and message there. Awesome, awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Again, thank you to Mackin for being a sponsor of this mini series. Lindsay, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us today. Such an inc maker spaces. If you don't have one in your school, get one in your school. It can be used in so many different ways. Uh, corner of your classroom, in the corner of a library, a classroom that's maybe not being used, uh, the hallway, I don't know. Find a place, find a storage room uh, and make yourself 
uh, a maker space for your for yourself, for your school, and for your students. So, thank you, Trisha. Thank you, Lindsay, for another great episode. With that, we'll see you on the network. If you like today's episode, please let us know on Twitter at Shifting Schools or Instagram and TikTok at Shifting Schools Pod. Make sure to check out our free STEM-related guides as well by visiting free guides in the menu of ShiftingSchools.com. If you are looking for a speaker or workshop presenter, reach out to Trisha and I as well. We're both full-time educational consultants and love supporting schools in preparing students for their future, not our past. Until next time, we'll see you on the next